generation dwells here. And then we moving by the pack, so we moving them. And even if you don't, then you do, cause you cool with them. They be like, I only went to school with them. Let's get it. <laughs> All right, let's try, let's do this. Kick it. Three, two, one. Welcome to Color Correction, a Jesus-y podcast about race and faith from the perspective of a black girl, an Asian guy, and a white guy, too. I'm Andrew. I use he, him pronouns. I'm Asian. (laughs) (laughs) I should have been doing that. You know, that was perfect. I read it off of a thing, so I I did it uh, without screwing it up this time. Yep. (laughs) And I'm Bethany. I'm black. I use she, her pronouns. I'm Chris. I'm white, and I use he, him pronouns. So we like to start off our podcast by talking about things that we uh, wish we had mentioned or wanted to talk about from previous episodes. Um, our previous episode was our episode about how we're not feeling it, um, our, which was started out as a discussion about spiritual malaise and became kind of an episode about uh, revolution, rest. Revolution, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. The about revolution. About revolution and reevaluation of our life choices and decisions. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's, we're kind of going to have an extension of that discussion today. But anything you guys want to say about that previous episode? Yeah. So I was listening to the episode again today before we recorded. And one of my first comments in the episode is like snarkily uh, saying how much I don't like that our church, like, changes language right Mm -hmm. that we say talks instead of sermons and i kind of feel like that's unfair and that i should come back and explain why we do that we do that because we want to be doing something new with each other and we don't necessarily want to be leaning into like old traditions at least this is my understanding Mm -hmm. so we use newer language or language that's distinct to us as like yeah like a proclamation of that newness Mm -hmm. and we also do it so people can relate to stuff better. So instead of calling it like a sermon, we call it a talk so mm-hmm. that it's more relatable. Right. So there is like a reason why we do that. Yeah. I do hope that the that changing the name of something isn't the only thing we're doing, though. Because, right. You know, because it – and this is part of an ongoing process, but we're trying to look at what it means to actually do something new as opposed to change changing the label on something old. Right. And calling it something new. <laughs> right. And what does it mean to live into newness and not just change a label? Right. Yeah. Precisely. Yeah. Um, but we got a lot of good feedback from we that did. previous, uh, from that episode. I guess a lot of people connected to what we were talking about in terms mm-hmm. of how we were feeling. Yeah. Um, just um, reading some comments uh, about the episode. Um Speak up. Um, so we haven't had in a while. We haven't had this in a while, but we've we've got a lot of responses today, specifically responding to that previous episode. Um, Here's a comment from somebody who said, um, uh, who commented on the fact that we were talking about busyness culture, and said that it's interesting because Beth first tied it to being evangelical, but I think she got it more right. When you tied it back to capitalism, I think it's more a capitalist thing than anything. Like, churchy folks do church stuff, but non-churchy people are soccer moms and late-night lawyer dads, you know? Uh, <laughs> late-night lawyer dads. Where is that coming from? This is from the Slack. Okay. Yeah. So, um, the listener also recommends uh, a book, uh, Catherine Tanner's Christianity and the New Spirit of Capitalism, who uh, recommends a book that explores that connection between... Uh, church culture, busyness culture, and capitalism. Oh, wow. Um, uh, the listener says, we've internalized the capitalist superstructure and it shaped our minds in the ways we see the world. In the ways we see Jesus. I Yeah, and I think we were definitely touching on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's part of what we want to discuss today. But before we do that, let's read some more listener mail. This is like a deluge of speak up stuff because we haven't had it in so long. <laughs> what should I, I'll start with, um, okay, yeah. Uh, well, I'll start. Well, let's start with this email. I think we should just do one more. Just I just wanted more. to give you options okay. to pick from, and then you didn't pick from any of my options. I'm sorry, <laughs> first I, I, one. I, <laughs> but I mean, we've got so much good stuff here, though. You would want to do a bunch. Okay. Let's just do. Do you a want bunch. to split up reading it? Uh, we don't have Ooh. to read the whole thing. I can just summarize this first. Oh, one. you're better at summarizing and you, than me. And you can kind of respond to it. What okay. do you think about that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so we had a listener write in to comment. 
uh, about some thoughts about asking first um, about some thoughts about um, reading the Bible from marginalized perspectives and uh, referencing an author named Miguel uh, A. De La Torre, who wrote a book called Reading the Bible from the Margins. And this listener uh, was struck by a previous episode where Beth talked about Jesus' response to the Canaanite woman in Matthew 15. Mm-hmm. So that listener asked us as for a reminder as to which episode that came from. And I believe it is episode 20, Spicy White, with our um, social media goddess, before she was our social media uh-huh. goddess, when before times. she was times. just a regular person. Yeah. Um, Tess Patino. Right. So I'm pretty sure it's it's episode 20. Mm-hmm. Um, another... I also called Jesus an asshole in that episode. You did call Jesus an asshole in that episode. Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking a lot about that because I've been watching this TV show called The Chosen, which is okay i'm fascinated by any kind of depiction of jesus in like a movie or a tv show just Mm -hmm. because like even if it's bad i think it tells you a lot about like it's just interesting Mm. tells you a lot about what about like the person who wrote it yes okay and i thought that's what you were leaning towards It, it says a lot about the person who wrote it and also about like the way different people see jesus um but in any case it's interesting to me how the show seems to not know whether to make up its mind about whether Jesus knows everything or can learn. And I think it taps into the fact that a lot of people are uncomfortable with this idea that Jesus didn't know everything. Didn't know everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And first of all, Jesus in the New Testament acknowledges that he, there are things the Father knows or that God knows that he doesn't know. He explicitly says yes, that. Yes, he explicitly says that. So that's... That's canonical. That's in the Bible. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There are things that Jesus didn't know. But I think it is interesting to think, like, why is it that the idea that Jesus had to learn or Jesus didn't know, why does that bother us so much or bother certain people? Mm -hmm. Um, Because honestly, like, thinking about Jesus' interaction with the Canaanite woman and seeing it through the lens of Jesus learned something new in that interaction, I kind of like that. I do too. Yeah. I need that, yeah. honestly, yeah, because I sure. think, and I said that in this, in that episode, but I feel like Jesus gives us a model for reconciliation mm-hmm. and repentance. Mm-hmm. Like as soon as that lady responded back to him, he was like, skirt, skirt, let me take it back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, whatever he said, I'm right. not as good at quoting the Bible as you, Andrew. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, Jesus, uh, you, you did just did a fantastic job of quoting the Bible. That's exactly what <laughs> happens skirt. in that story. <laughs> Uh, that's the niv um <laughs> uh, so this uh, okay so another listener wanted had just listened to the episode about the jubilee wealth redistribution uh, and said thanks for the great conversation and for your leadership in our church i'm wondering what's next in this little experiment in taking baby steps toward reparations how can we keep it going and make it part of our life on an ongoing basis mm. would love to hear your thoughts thanks <laughs> Um, I thought about being like, Venmo me. Uh (laughs) Yes. If you want to be perfect, give up everything you have and follow follow us on Twitter. (laughs) Follow us on Instagram. Um, But I think that's a great, that is a great, uh, I think that's a great question. And I think it's personal Mm -hmm. for each person, right? Like, what does it look like? The way it may look for a middle class white person mm-hmm. to uh, do reparations may be different for like a poor white person mm-hmm. who might be working at a mechanic shop or something, sure, right? Yeah. Like maybe your reparations is trying to figure out how to service your black friends, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. um, f- for free. Mm-hmm. So I definitely think it's hard for me to come up with an answer to that question right, yeah. because I think it's very personal and mm-hmm. I think. It has to be like a personal sacrifice mm-hmm. yeah. for that person. Yeah, totally. And I also think that it's um, it's about living a, a life of repentance and reconciliation. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you're never going to be like, oh, I did it. Now right. I don't have to worry about it. Right. Uh, it's about um, yeah. It, n- now that you are in now that you are in reconciled community with your brothers and sisters in Jesus, what does it mean to have that exist in your life on a day to day basis? Uh, so so yeah. what does reparations look like in your life specifically? I mean, in some ways that's between you and Jesus, but I think it's good to keep thinking about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and here's this, uh, uh, and th- here's this last, um, email here. 
Um, I think we got all these letters because I bitched at people prob- in the last it's episode. It's probably <laughs> true. You, you have to do that more. This is great. What is this whole, I bitch like, at people a lot lately. What is this whole flies with honey thing? It, it did not work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just have to yell at people. I did that on my Instagram uh-huh. stories. Not enough people liked a really nice picture I took. So I left a comment afterwards wow. and I was like, y'all are haters for not heart emojiing that you picture. You just have to be direct and tell people I'm very what direct. you actually want. That's right. So now we got I'm, letters. I'm learning that. We want know. letters. Mm-hmm. Um, Give it to us. So I feel like I've been reading all of these. Does someone else want to read this one? I'm not good at summarizing, but I'll read it. Go for it. Just wanted to let you know that I have a lot of thoughts about your recent episode. I honestly felt pretty triggered by a lot of it. Really, it's because I've been in a bit of a funk for the past few months. At least it's been a lot more... Uh, At least it's been a lot more intense lately. However, ever since the COVID-19 pandemic, I, like a lot of other people, have been kind of forced to reevaluate what motivated me to produce all of the things I have produced. I realize that I'm dealing with a lot of guilt and possibly shame because I'm not producing something or working for someone else every second. I am working with the concept that I have a right to my own time as well. Thanks for this episode because I feel like I have been given some language for what I have been feeling for the past year and a half. Yeah. yeah. That's nice to hear. Yeah. It is nice to hear. Yeah. And I think it segs neatly into kind of what we want to talk about today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which is specifically the relationship between work and vocation. Um Last episode, I pause. I posed a question of like, what is worth keeping and what is worth letting go of. That's kind of what we're doing when we're evaluating what it means to be busy or what work means in this phase, in this post-pandemic phase. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess we were, Beth, you came up with this idea of exploring specifically the idea of work uh, in an episode. And I guess that's what we're going to dive into. So um, why don't we just, why don't we talk about it? Like how do, how are we feeling about work now versus previously? I hate working. (laughs) I think it's ridiculous. Uh I hate having to go to work every day. I hate going, well, not every day, but like five days a week. I think Mm -hmm. that's stupid. We could Mm -hmm. easily work four days a week. Mm -hmm. Um. I hate that my life depends on work. Like, I wish that there was, like, a standard, like, housing subsidy that all Americans got. And, like, a food subsidy that all – like, I hate how my life is dependent on working. Mm -hmm. Health insurance. Oh, see, I almost quit my job on Wednesday. And when I got dizzy, I was like, ooh. I need my insurance. <laughs> I, I can't quit this job. Yeah. Something's going yeah, on with right. my head. But I really, like, my mom had to talk me out of quitting on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So I'm sick of work. Yeah. Yeah, I I totally identify with that. I, um, oh, man, what would it be like to just work four days a week? It'd be amazing. That'd be incredible. I. And you'd probably be productive as fuck in those four days. Yeah, mm-hmm. I definitely don't need to be any more productive at my job than I am already. I'm, I have that kind of internal fight all the time about just like I need to let more things go. Actually, mm-hmm. um, yeah, just like for our our like we really just work and sleep with like a smattering mm-hmm. of time in between for. Um, for leisure, for the for the kinds of things that like would increase our overall creativity. Yeah, we basically just like get home, tired, eat, I'm tired go to sleep. Hell. Right. Yeah, the kind of disruptive nature of the pandemic has made us realize how unnecessary, how right. like how kind of just bullshit. Right. So many of our structures are. Our literal structures, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like one of the ways we could talk uh-huh. about this is just like having to be in a physical place that's not home right. to do right. the same things you could do mm-hmm. at home anywhere. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I think for most of my life, I have um, been pretty proud of the fact that I was a hard worker. Me too. And also, I was proud of the fact that. I am in a job that allows me to live into a lot of my values in terms mm-hmm. of helping people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the same time, like in this phase of things, I am 
thinking about like, first of all, ways that my job doesn't satisfy me, but also why it is that I derive so much of my identity from that kind of busyness Mm -hmm. and how kind of harmful that was, is in a lot of ways. Yeah. So whereas before I probably felt like I felt like pretty proud of my work in general, I think now I'm a lot more willing to um, think about who I am outside of my work, I guess. Me too, yeah. Yeah. I mean, don't you, I mean, Beth, you are also, you're in the non, you're, you're in a nonprofit where you uh, help people who are looking for jobs, mm-hmm. um, right? Yeah. I mean, there are people who would like, there are people who would think that like, oh, the purpose of joining an organization like that isn't to like, is to like sacrifice and like do things for other people as opposed to like, you're rolling your eyes. <laughs> I hate that about nonprofits. Yeah. I think that nonprofits take advantage of mm. black and brown labor and mm-hmm. the fact that usually direct support staff has experience right. in whatever nonprofit they're in, whether it's uh, working with people who have been incarcerated, whether it's foster mm-hmm. care children, whether it's somebody who's experienced homelessness. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, those nonprofits will draw in people that have that direct experience Mm -hmm. and they'll underpay them because they know that that motherfucker's passionate because they've been there yeah and i think that shit is abusive yeah i for sure and it's like that's why i started rolling my eyes (laughs) okay (laughs) yeah Uh, i'm sure a lot of other people who are probably listening to this podcast like teachers and social workers can probably oh yeah relate to what you're saying like the get we we get involved in this because we are passionate about this group of people is as if I can take that passion to the wine and spirits. Uh-huh. What I'm gonna do with that passion when I have to buy my groceries? <laughs> right. like, I care. I, yeah, uh-huh. here's my care card. Can I have a right? Apple? Can I have some carrots? <laughs> um, I mean, Chris, you're currently uh, you're in a job where you're not you're not really helping anybody. <laughs> <laughs> But you're also, like, in the process of seeing if you can make that your job. Yeah. Like, how is this How is this conversation hitting you? Um, it's funny because I I think I, I, I th- the way I think about vocation is informed by I mean, never having a job that I felt like I was passionate about. Like, I've just worked to eat. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's been, that's been my life. Um, and... Really, the ways that I've been able to work out, like doing things I love, is is through like those. Like work has always just kind of been an imposition. Mm-hmm. You know? like, yeah, it gets in the way of like the things that I really like to do. Right. And I really and, and I kind of know some of the things that I really like to do. So I'm I am in this place where I, where I've been I've been doing work for for three years that you and that the three of us actually started at our church, and it's working with with um with with people to just hopefully get better outcomes from their criminal cases participatory defense yeah yeah and so yeah i'm i'm exploring how how to turn that into paid work Mm -hmm. um which would be wild for the first time in my life to actually like be paid for something i actually care about doing and like it's really good for me to like have this conversation and Mm. just like be wary of the like of the um you don't get everything you want just because you're you're doing what, you're you, doing like. what you love right. doing. Like, yeah, that's that that still can't be the core of my identity. No, um, and like even though so much of me wants that. Yeah, as something I've never never really had in a, in a work situation. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's interesting now that I'm thinking of it too. Like I do feel like my work is also my vocation for the first time in my life. That mm-hmm. like supporting young people. Yeah, that I I feel like I'm called to that. I feel like my life experience has made me passionate about that. Um, so yeah, like work and vocation are overlapping for me here, but mm-hmm. it still doesn't feel good. Right. But I think that's because of the structure, right? Like right. if you put me with my young people in a different setting, I would love that. Mm-hmm. But structures, mm-hmm. institutions, fuck stuff up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even the way nonprofits work, where where like they're they're funded by like private 
individuals. They're funded by rich people yeah. who have never had experience with the shit that they're funding, but then they have the nerve to tell us what needs to be funded. <laughs> Meanwhile, they're grabbing their purse every time they pass a black person on the street. Mm-hmm. You all know what's going on. Give me that fucking money and shut up. Right. Like, that's how I feel about yeah. funders. I'll tell you what I need the money for. Yeah, I mean, it, while you're in the process of, like, thinking about finding a new job can, can we talk about that yeah okay. fuck them i'm okay. looking for a new job i even process. put it on my linkedin i said <laughs> i said first time meeting wow but everybody knows a first time meeting uh-huh. is a fucking interview yeah well so while everybody the... on my linkedin knows i'm looking for <laughs> That's a job hilarious. first yeah. time meeting yeah it's not tinder <laughs> oh no i even use the language first time professional meeting so i'm not as like I'm not as brave as I'm trying to front like I am right now. Yeah. I said first time professional meeting, but y'all know right. it was an interview. Right. Thug life anyway. <laughs> well, while you're in the process of looking for a new job, are you still looking for something in the same area? Are you still looking for that overlap between work and vocation? Yeah, I have to have it now. Sure. I can't do a job that I don't feel passionate about. Mm-hmm. I did that for five years at the law firm, six years at the law mm-hmm. firm. Right. And I can't go back to that. Mm-hmm. I also have enough, and I was telling Chris about this, like every job I've applied to, I've already gotten an interview. Mm-hmm. And it's really nice being in a place in my life where my resume can back up my passion. Yeah. Like I sure. did not have that five years ago. Right. I feel like um, my work, similar to you, I feel like my work and my vocation kind of overlap in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I think, however, that that in my life, that's a result of my own rigidity. Like I had this idea in my early 20s that like in order to follow Jesus, I had to do everything right. And that means that everything had to line up and be for Jesus, which I still believe, Mm -hmm. but in like a very specific way, Mm -hmm. you know. And I think the downside of that is that I would look at other people like – other people in law school, for instance, that maybe weren't there to, like, do something public interest mm-hmm. And I would be like, I would look down on them. I would yeah. judge them, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, like, my, my, that was, I think that frequently <laughs> that's been my attitude. Like, I have this, I would, this, I have this way of being, and I judge other people who don't align with that way of being. And that's something that I am reevaluating and repenting of in this phase of my life. Mm. So I'm looking at what it means to have more flexibility. And honestly, like Beth, when you talked about this subject, like what is the difference between work and vocation? It took me a second to like, it. I I, I was like thinking about like, is there a difference between work and vocation? Because I have, because for me, like I've, I've been so like rigid and structured in how I've been thinking about things that I completely am not even used to thinking about the difference between those things, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And I'm realizing that, uh, that there has, that there has to be a difference. There has to be. Yeah. 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 Like, um, yeah, that there has to be a difference because. Well, I guess there doesn't have to be a difference, but those things, Work and vocation are different. Yes. And sometimes they overlap. Right. But the, those concepts are different, yeah. I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, the concepts are definitely different. I guess, how would you define the difference? I feel like work is labor that you don't necessarily feel passionate about, but it mm-hmm. supports you. Mm-hmm. When I think of vocation, I think of a calling mm-hmm. that you're moving with. So it may mm-hmm. not actually even pay you. But it is your calling Mm -hmm. and you're passionate about moving into that calling. Is that what do you guys think of when you think of vocation? Yeah, no, I I completely agree. And I'm like and I'm relieved um, that like that way of thinking relieves me as someone who like doesn't get paid for what I actually care about. Mm -hmm. The fact that I don't doesn't stop me from finding ways to to do what I feel is in me to Mm -hmm. do like Mm -hmm. by God. I like what you're saying when you say that your vocation is something that moves you mm-hmm. because vocation, vocation comes from, uh, yeah, here it comes, vocation here comes, comes the Latin. The Latin. <laughs> <laughs> I Wocat. love that you started looking at me because right. you know I'm going to make fun of or you. Or vocare, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. The, the idea of a calling, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's much more useful to think of it in terms of direction, in terms of movement. What is yeah. the direction that I'm moving in? 
who what is calling me toward it oh interesting is that like the same word as the root word of vocal yeah mm-hmm. yeah oh i never yeah. put those two together so yeah it's totally about like calling mm. out yeah. and move oh yeah, yeah that's precisely interesting. and like i feel like so much of my life has been like it, less about direction and more about like where am, making sure that i am there in the box where i'm supposed to be yeah mm-hmm. as opposed to like am i moving in the right direction mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um I think those boxes have been safe for us Mm -hmm. over the years because I've always worked very rigidly and like stayed in a box. I think the fragility, I think the way the virus, (laughs) I feel like all old black people have been saying the virus (laughs) virus. and it's like, can you give me a little bit more? Um, But (laughs) yeah, I think that COVID-19 and how much it revealed the fragility of the world and humanity has made us like Mm -hmm. question that, you know what I mean? Like that's, I feel like I'm forgetting my point. What were you just saying? Well, you were saying that the, the, uh, I was was saying that, that to something, right? Like so, so much of my personal approach has been about staying in the right box. Right. And you're mm-hmm. saying that the the virus has made us question the the bo- the boxes or what? what the virus mean? has made us realize that like even rigidity can't save us. Mm-hmm. So now I think we're more open to expanding outside of that box. Right. Like we thought that being rigid, going to work every day, making mm-hmm. sure that we graduated from college, mm-hmm. making sure that you know yeah. we get into a serious relationship, doing all the right things. Right can't save us Mm -hmm. like the world can flip upside down literally overnight so what's the point of a rigid box yeah i I feel like one of the things i don't actually feel um i I don't feel like like i know enough about this but one of the one of our doors into this conversation has just been about the amount of unemployment that's occurring right now that mm-hmm. kind of that that speaks to that point the like, great resignation we're mm-hmm. we're at this place where there's work to do and people don't want to do it mm-hmm. people don't want to be treated like shit you know like yeah. particularly like restaurant workers who are oftentimes mm-hmm. young people mm-hmm. who are oftentimes black and brown people people particularly management treat those people like shit they expect them to just be lifting shit up all the time to be Mm -hmm. on their feet all the time without breaks of course people don't want to be dehumanized anymore because we've faced our humanity in such an intense way over the last two years like Mm -hmm. we recognize our humanity and we're demanding that the establishment does so too Mm -hmm. yeah and, and i'm like i'm thinking about it now for the first time on one hand there's like this imperative like from a health perspective to like take care of yourself Mm -hmm. and like taking care of yourself is one of the ways that you can take care of the world. Mm -hmm. And it is in a stark contrast to the working conditions Mm -hmm. in our country that like want you to sacrifice your body for very little money. For very little money for $10 Mm -hmm. an hour. Yeah. Start paying people a living wage. Like the average rent in Philadelphia is what eleven hundred dollars for a one bedroom, a thousand dollars for a one bedroom. Ten dollars is not going to pay for that. So what a mixed message, right? Like, mm -hmm. yeah. I'm deeply in workforce development, so that's also part of my intensity. Yeah, totally. No, you see those numbers. Mm-hmm. You see what you, you, you like. And, and I see people's experiences. And you're face yeah. to face with people who are like, I need a job. And you're like, well, here's what I know. And it's not enough, probably. It's never enough money. Yeah. It's not worth the physical labor. Yeah. And also people treat marginalized people like shit. People, employers treat trans people like shit. Mm-hmm. They don't, they don't make sure that the bathrooms are a safe space for them. They'll give them a hard time about like their nails being painted and stuff like yeah, workforce yeah. development as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, that was like just thinking about like the rigidity, mm-hmm. this, this question of like the expectations around work and how um, I don't know, unrealistic that is. Actually. Right. Well, I think it's unrealistic mm-hmm. to be defined by work. And yeah. that's something that in American culture is pushed. 
Mm. Well, because like like we've been saying, so much of our existence depends on it. Mm-hmm. And our whole days revolve around work. Yeah. Like if I get up and put on makeup, I have to be up by seven. And then I'm at work at nine until, so like 10 hours of my day are committed to mm-hmm. working. The, the ritual, if, if not the, like the ritual of getting ready to go to the thing mm-hmm. and be there for a long time. And then traveling home for, mm-hmm. from the thing. Yeah. Well, going back to what we were talking about regarding why the safety of the, the rigidity is so attractive to us. Um, I mean, I think as BIPOC folks, the idea of safety in those kinds of structural things mm-hmm. is very attractive. Mm-hmm. I know, like from my experience, like being born to an immigrant family, the whole idea is if you play by the rules and do all the right things. You'll be American you'll, and accepted. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You'll be safe because you'll be American. That's the the whole idea. Um so the idea is like keep your head down and work hard and uh and people and no one will bother you and eventually you'll fit in which of course is not true <laughs> which of course is a lie mm-hmm. um and it has to be super disappointing uh yeah when you work that hard and you realize that people still mm-hmm. treat you differently mm-hmm. and then and take advantage of that expectation right and take advantage of your labor and take advantage of that expectation and I think for people like my parents who, you know, were never equipped to think about race, they were like, well, at least my kid is going to fit in mm-hmm. because he speaks English and mm-hmm. he was born here and belongs mm-hmm. here. But turns out, <laughs> it turns out there's still race. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And growing up as an Asian American, um, once again, like. I don't know what made me think of this the other day, uh-huh. but I was thinking of your little kid picture with the perm. Mm-hmm. Just outstandingly <laughs> so cute, <laughs> like, just ridiculously cute. Test, make a uh, note. Put that you. in. Put that yes. in Instagram. Yes, um, yes, that's gonna be the thing I'm into. I don't know about if you that. edit this out, Andrew. <laughs> Andrew started talking through his teeth. Yeah. <laughs> we shouldn't do that. <laughs> right. Um. Yeah. So my mom made me get a perm in third grade. Uh. Which. Yeah. I thought you said you wanted it. I thought you said that you like were like, yo, I need this thing. I don't think I would have vocalized my preferences for what I for my hair. Oh, really? Okay. As a like as a boy, I think I was like, I'm not supposed to care what I look like Mm because I'm a boy. Mm -hmm. Um, But I did let my mom take me to a hairdresser and get again get a perm. Multiple times in my childhood. <laughs> so a part of me must have uh, consented to that. It was the 90s. <laughs> I don't know what that I don't know has what that to means do either. with anything. No one was getting perms. Are even kids I've... getting perms today? I doubt it. Sandra O. Oh. Wait. It, I, and even then, it might be naturally curly. I have no idea. Sandra O. Oh, what does she look like? Um, oh, she has what fabulous is she hair. Um, she's she's in all about... Why can't in, I picture her she's right in, now? Um, killing she's in so much stuff. Killing oh, Eve. She's in Killing Eve. Um, faculty no on Netflix is. are a couple of things she's in this year. She oh, was yeah, on she Grey's Anatomy. Film. She was on Grey's Anatomy originally. Um, okay, that's who I was. She is, yeah, she is a he has amazing. Does she hair. have curly hair? Uh, yeah. That's interesting. Uh, yeah. She's beautiful. Yeah, this mm-hmm. is the woman I was picturing. Her hair is a focal point on Killing Eve. Yeah, it is fabulously curly. Um. But um, now I'm distracted by her. <laughs> <laughs> this is a really pretty. Or dress. the chair. That's what the show is on Netflix. The chair. Right. We should probably talk about vocation more and what that means to us totally. and how we live that out. Um. So we've been talking about work for a while. <laughs> it is also an American pastime to complain about work. So we are fitting in beautifully with the mm-hmm. culture in that regard. I guess that's true. <laughs> Re- resentment is one of the ways we deal with. The American work ethic. <laughs> I'm wondering for you guys, I'm also moving us along because it's almost 630. Okay, mm-hmm. great. Um, I'm also wondering for you guys, what does vocation mean to you? And where do you, where do you live out the where vocations and the callings? Yeah. 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 Andrew, you want to answer that? I have, I, I'm ready, but go for it. If you're ready, you I should I am ready. I, Stay ready so you ain't got to get ready. Well, going back to that, I mean, 
I really, I've been working wage work my my whole life. Um, I just finished a, a bachelor's degree a few years ago um, in global journalism. Um, my, I love to write, um, and I really, something about journalism really speaks to me because there's this sense of um, equity and justice kind of baked into to what journalists do, at least in my mind. Mm -hmm. um, and the the ways I've really and I've 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 kind of felt led to express God's love through those avenues. I mean, that's the the work I'm doing now that I love is um, is really all about compassion mm -hmm. and justice, but like not justice built on the American penal system. I want something else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I want I want something that actually. Um, validates people and um, is committed to their wholeness mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of what's that's that's what shapes my thinking about vocation mm -hmm. in, in part <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah yeah I, I think I'm in a weird phase where I'm rethinking about what it even means what vocation means hmm. I think I, I know what I what specific expressions of what I feel to be my vocation would look like, mm -hmm. like helping disabled folks through my job or being of service to people in, in other ways that are justice-oriented. But I think in the past, it, what I would have wanted on my tombstone... Mm. would have been like uh would have been like well done good and faithful servant mm -hmm. <laughs> or something yeah but i'm i'm realizing like i'm just cold yeah beth is putting on her coat right now not because <laughs> and not she's because about I'm to walk to out <laughs> um Andrew and I finished this conversation this <laughs> but i i think i'm 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 recognizing that like it's possible to do all the right things mm, mm -hmm. that are justice oriented and be in all the right places and still um and still completely miss the the point of of jesus which is love mm -hmm. so i i guess what i'm thinking about is what are the ways that love can express itself in in my life and mm -hmm. in the things that drive mm -hmm. me and the things that I do? Mm -hmm. um, and I think I'll I'll probably settle on something specific, but I'm also realizing that when I do, that thing that I settle on isn't the final thing. Mm -hmm. It's not the final expression of my vocation, yeah. and it's not the final expression of the love of God living itself out in my life, mm -hmm. you know, that this thing is going to have multiple forms in multiple places mm -hmm. in my life. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of what I'm working with. I don't know about you, but like, I, again, that's a place when I hear that spoken, there's a sense of relief. Mm -hmm. I feel about that. Like the, it, it leaves space for the thing you're doing now not to be the thing always. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it also reduces the thinginess, you know, like mm -hmm. you're, you're able to grow and, and change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's actually, that's actually strategies. your calling too. <laughs> yeah. I kind of think that like your vocation may be one calling, right? Like it may be loving people who are formerly incarcerated mm -hmm. or loving people who have, xyz experience sure i think it shows up in different ways sure and i think different strategies and tools can be used yes and when we have a calling we need to keep being open to the spirit like mm -hmm. implanting in us that it's time to shift the way that we're doing things yeah right. yeah i mean how would you answer that question what my vocation is mm -hmm. i think my calling is to love philadelphians particularly yeah. philadelphians that are told they're not lovable so that looks like people. Eagles fans. <laughs> now I'm really leaving. <laughs> we are very lovable people as Eagles fans. I actually have mentioned in two job interviews that I'm an Eagles fan. Mm -hmm. That's how much of an Eagles fan I am. Okay. I mean, that's easy if your job market is filled out. <laughs> I mean, so maybe on. I am cheating like, when I say that. Um, 
But yeah, I think my calling is loving Philadelphians mm-hmm. on the margins. And that shows up a lot of different ways for yeah. me. And like, I think when I was at the law firm for a while, it just showed up as like, my coworkers would know that they could come to my cube if something was going on for them. Mm-hmm. And then I was able to expand that eventually. But I think wherever I go, people who feel unseen, I'm meant to love them well and to remind them that God loves them. Yeah. That's like a prayer that I pray every day. <laughs> like I pray, God, help me to love people the way you love people and see people the way you love, the way you see people. Mm. And that's been really freeing for me. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, that is beautiful. It's really helpful because I hate people sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> people really frustrate me sometimes. Yes. So coming back to that yes. prayer is super helpful because I think I'm called to love people. Yeah. And I need to equip myself to do that. Yeah. That's great. I feel like we could just end it there. Yeah. Can can we drop can we drop the quote in just just to give people a little a little nom nom? <laughs> okay. We don't have to we don't have to go anywhere with this, but um <laughs> Go I, ahead. I think it's great. Yeah, like this is when I think of vocation, I um I often think of this quote. And I just want to leave this out in the world with people. Mm. Um um this is Howard Thurman who wrote um, Jesus and the Disinherited along with several other books. Um and he says, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is more people who have come alive. Mm, that's great. Hello. Hey, Beth. Hey. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing okay. Um, do you know, can you, are you able to three-way Chris in here from your phone? Yeah, let me try. Okay. Hello? Can you hear me? Yes. Hey, everybody. Hey, Chris. Um, so, uh, the last, like, 15 minutes of our recording was corrupted or something, so that, so, uh, I'm missing it. Basically, all that was, I think, was, uh, um whatever we're into this week so uh okay is, is it okay if we just do it over whatever funny things beth and i said at the end <laughs> i'm disappointed because i feel like it was pretty good it was like it was tight it was funny yeah and it was chris's howard sermon quote and then the part i said something at the end oh the good thing though at the, the recording cuts off like right at the howard thurman quote <laughs> Yes. So we at least. Oh, yeah. That's so Jesus do right there. <laughs> no, it cuts your Howard Thurman. No, it, quote no, we out. have it. We have it. No, we do have it. Oh, we do have it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Then it really is just okay. Cool. Uh-huh. All right. Cool. Um. So we want to do this. Yeah. And and um. So so Beth, you got to tag us out at the end too. Um. So let's go into talking about what we're into. All right. Yeah. So the last thing we like to do is talking about is is talk about whatever we're into this week. Uh, Beth, do you want to kick us off? Sure. So here's the weird thing. On Friday when I recorded, we were in the studio, mm-hmm. but now part of, part of what I'm into is sitting right here. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sitting here with my sorority sister, Devon, and she's one of the people that I'm into this week. Um, she is an amazing person, and I got to see her. I usually only get to see her once every few years, but we've gotten to see each other twice in like three weeks time because I flew to Tulsa to see her start as Effie in dream girls a couple of weeks ago. It was amazing. And now she's in Philly because she is headed North to move to the East coast um, and work here again. So I'm super excited about that. And on Thursday we went to South jazz kitchen and it was amazing. The food was delicious. It tasted like somebody's granny was in the kitchen, and she loved all of us. The fried chicken was some of the best fried chicken I've ever had. The deviled eggs were outstanding. Music was great. It was a wonderful, wonderful experience. So I'm into my sorority sister, Devon, and I'm also into South Jazz Kitchen. Devon, who has been on an episode of this podcast. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Last year, she was on the Black Girl episode. So, all right, cool. That's awesome. I'm glad she's here. Yeah. Chris, what are you into? 
Yeah, so um, I'm reading Subversive Witness by Dominique Gilliard. Um, Dominique takes a look at um, characters in the Bible, people who um, disrupted um, unconscionable, unjust systems. Um, got some really great takes on some people we, we know and some people got to know better. I really liked his chapter about Esther, which Beth, I know, is one of your favorite um, people in the Bible. Yes. Awesome. What's the name of that book? Subversive Witness. Cool. Um, and I am into. Um, I've been taking. Amy and I have been taking Wing Chun Kung Fu classes in Chinatown at the Philadelphia Wing Chun School. Um, so I'm into that. Just the that specific martial art, but specifically, I think what I'm into is there's um, one of the first things you learn is a basic series of motions called the Siunim Tao or the Xiaonim Tou. Um, and I guess what I've been thinking about is how like this series of movements, when you first start doing it, you like have no idea what's going on or why you're doing this. And then as you learn more and more, the movements start to make more sense in terms of like what they're for and what they're teaching you to do. And I, what I'm into is this idea that like there are other ways of transmitting knowledge than just writing it down because, uh, you know, in our Western white kind of culture where uh, you need to write everything down for it to exist, um, people historically and, and BIPOC folks especially today have other ways of transmitting knowledge from one person to another that don't involve things that are written down or codified in a book or that sort of thing and so the experience of learning this this encoded knowledge in this series of movements has kind of reminded me of that of uh you know that heritage that we have so i'm into that that's so cool yeah um cool so uh special thanks to um joe special thanks to joe mahoney our audio engineer (laughs) I, i can't do without screwing it up Special thanks to Joe Mahoney. Joe Mahoney. Joe Mahoney. Wherever you are. Oh, thank you. We can call him Joe Money. <laughs> special thanks to Joe Money. Special thanks to Joe Mahoney, our audio engineer. Um, and also to P- Tess Patino, our social media goddess. Uh, Amy does our graphic design and uh, manages our website. And also thanks to Jared Selby, who does our theme song. Yeah, and thanks, guys, for writing into us. We we really missed hearing from you. Um, so keep writing into us about how you're navigating race and faith because it's hard, and we want to walk with you in it. Mm-hmm. So with that said, stay black, Little Mermaid. In our outline, we do have this bit about whether Jesus worked, and I feel like we should touch on that at yeah. least as an outtake. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if Jesus was a good carpenter. I'm just going to come out and say it, because he spent a lot of time like calling people into his ministry and discipling. Uh-huh. Never talks and about carpentry. Never talks about never carpentry. Never talks about carpentry. My man's never talks about carpentry. You know, oh, he was not a <laughs> shepherd. He, ta- he talked about sheep all the time. Yeah. Jim true. Gaffigan was the first person that pointed yeah. that out, and I've been thinking about that for Whether. 10 years. You know what's funny is that the sheep and wine—those are his metaphors. Yeah, he that never talks true. about like he, well, I a, house on, a house on a rock. All right, one well, time. That, oh, that he does talk about house building on houses rock. on a rock or shifting sand. You know, the Greek, <laughs> uh, the word that the, the the word that describes Jesus' profession is actually not carpenter. It's what is it? It's it's tecton, which can be translated <laughs> as uh, it, a, a carpenter is like a specialist. A tecton just means like a laborer. That would actually like make more worker. sense. Yeah, yeah, he was a contractor. No wonder he didn't talk about that shit. I n- I've never heard that before. <laughs> yeah. That actually, <laughs> like, that actually just shifted everything for me. <laughs> right. That makes like, way more sense. He was just a regular guy's guy. No one doesn't the doesn't son of man just basically mean big homie? <laughs> it means like, homie. The hu- like the like the human one, like the per- the human like uh, it it it's, it's it both means like human one, and also it's a reference to. 
the book of Daniel. But yeah, it can be interpreted as just being like a, the human person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Jesus. Oh, I said that to say that he was probably super relatable to people he knew. Sorry. Yeah, I'm, you, you, that is true because when we think carpenter, you think like, oh, he was like an engineer, like a specialist. Yeah. Or like a craftsperson. But right. he was just a laborer, like a tech, he was a tecton, he was a, a handyman. That's so funny. Yeah. Um, that <laughs> that like, actually totally I, shifts this... the way I view Jesus almost. Really? Or not totally, but it, I, hmm, I think it actually supports the way I view Jesus. <laughs> so I'm thinking of somebody, um, we don't have to put this in the podcast, but you're on, that was frustrated with me for calling Jesus an asshole. Mm. And I don't think twice about that because mm. I really feel like Jesus was a guy's guy mm. that would probably laugh at that. Mm. Like, I feel like if I said that to Jesus, <laughs> he would be like, well, at least I'm not an Eagles fan. Like, I feel like he would have yeah. one to come right back to me yeah. because I feel like Jesus was good at relating to people where sure. they were yeah, at. Yeah, like maybe he was rougher than all of our depictions. I think he was. I think he was just like a regular, degular dude. But he wasn't trying to like, he wasn't trying to do a parable on like drywall stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe he didn't really like his work very yeah, much. Right. So he, he never used didn't. it in his teachings. Because if he liked it, he probably would have mentioned it, I feel like. Yeah. It is interesting how, yeah, we don't hear much about his work. And he did ha- like have a you job. You just mm-hmm. don't hear Jesus relate personally anyways. Like, what it, didn't Mary walk up to him one time and he was just like, I mean... You're my mom, but uh, aren't we all related or something like, like that? Like, this that's, is my family. Yeah, like that's your, harsh. That's your mom, Jesus. Harsh. I wouldn't say that to Greta. <laughs> I would never say that to Greta. Yeah. Um, so maybe his personal life in general, he wasn't. That <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe that's true. I mean, he was not. He was. He wasn't very liked or accepted in his hometown, probably because they knew him as. Yeah, the you know the local laborer, dude. right? They're like, um, if you see the way he put my toilet together, <laughs> you would not think he was the son of God. <laughs> That's hilarious. <dude. laughs> or 